Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Since you will be with Jesus one day, since you are going to overcome, since we are not the ones giving in to our desires, we are the ones following God. Since, since Christ Jesus, our Savior and Lord, will transform our lowly bodies. This is at the end of chapter 3. Since he's going to transform our lowly bodies into glorious bodies, since he's going to do that, therefore, stand firm. Stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. As we read this letter, sometimes when we read Scripture, we fall into a routine and we do not approach it with the reverence it deserves. And we're just going to check off our list that we've read Scripture that day. And so we go through the motions, we go through the habit of reading Scripture, and we can miss, in times like that, we can miss these words of affection. We can miss the tone of the text. And here we see that Paul loves these people. And this is important because he's about to encourage them, he's about to challenge them, and he wants them to know that he loves them. He wants them to know, he calls them brothers, he calls them beloved. He wants them to know, I don't think you are the people I was talking about in the last chapter who who said, now he didn't write it in chapters, but you know what I mean. In the last paragraph where he said that there were people who followed the desires of their own belly, I don't want you to think I'm talking about you. I know that you are the ones who are going to have your bodies transformed into glorious bodies. He's saying, I know you're going to be in heaven. I know you have a relationship with Jesus. He's, he's calling them brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. He is saying, Paul is, is expecting a heavenly reward for the role that he has played in the life of these people. He's expecting a crown. Of course, with that crown, he will worship God. He will lay it at the feet of Jesus. But he is expecting God to reward his relationship with the Philippians. It's been that fruitful. It's been that good. And he says, stand firm. Stand firm. Since I love you, since I've poured into you, since you have this relationship with Jesus and that you you will, you should expect heaven. You should expect a heavenly reward. Since you are that type of person, stand firm thus in the Lord. And then he goes to verse 2. And he says, I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Okay, these are two women. We don't know them. We don't see their name anywhere else in Scripture. We don't know what's up with these two ladies. But we know that he is entreating them. He is asking them to agree, to get along for the sake of unity, for the sake of church, the church, for the sake of his relationship with them and, and any influence he might have on in, in their lives. He is entreating them, Yodia and Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion. We don't know who this true companion is. This um, yoke bearer. The King James uses the word yoke bearer, I believe. And, and it, someone who is, is going side by side. Uh, I entreat. Or I, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement. So these women have been working with him. He knows they're Christians. That He is telling them in the, in the previous verse 
my beloved, my brothers, and brothers is an all-inclusive term. Like I would say, hey, guys, and I would include the women in that, hey, guys. Brothers meaning um, anyone who is professing Jesus. He is saying that, yes, I ask you also, true companion, whoever this true companion is, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He's saying they are saved. Yodidia and Syntyche are saved. They're, they've labored side by side with him, with Clement. And so there's so much stuff to go over right here in this verse. First of all, Paul is talking about two women in a culture where women had no standing, had no place. And yet, in the church, they could be leaders. Now, there were limitations on that leadership, but here we see two faithful women who have labored side by side with Paul and Clement. And Paul, so this in itself is something that we shouldn't just skip over when we're reading the scripture. The fact that these two women were laboring side by side with the apostle Paul. That's incredible for that day and that time and that culture when women did not have the place in society that they have today. And so that's something that we shouldn't just skim over. We should look at that. And I think that we should learn from that. We need to make sure that as a church that we are encouraging women to fill the roles that God has created them to fill within the church. And as a church, we need to to make sure that we are... uh, I just left a Sunday school class where we were going, we're going, we just finished our new members class, four week class. And we had about 14 or so people in there. Um, and in that we were talking about spiritual gifts. We were talking about, um, the roles that, that we play in the church and how being a church member is not just about what the church can offer you. Cause that's, that's a consumer mentality. That's not a biblical mentality. The biblical mentality for us should be, okay, if we're going to be a member of this church, where do we fit? What role do we play? What part of the body are we? So that we can honor God, serve God through the local church as best as we can. And I'm looking around, and I see so many of you who play so many different roles. You know, it's incredible when I think of how many of you do so much for this church. And, you know, uh, Jimmy and Shirley with the food pantry, um, you know, We've talked about y'all this morning, and we were talking about how there are things in Scripture where we don't have a choice of whether to obey God or not. And feeding the hungry is one of those. Now, I don't know if it will always, you know, Jimmy, you've talked to me. I don't know if it will always look like hand in hand, if it will always take that form. We have a choice. The church has a choice whether we continue doing that in the future. But we don't have a choice whether we continue feeding the poor or not. Because that is something that in Scripture we are commanded to feed the hungry. We are commanded to do that. In the church, we are commanded to do things. And we can't do those things if it's only 10 to 20 people leading in those ministries. We need every member of this church to be a minister. We need every member of this church to realize that you're called to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. That God has gifted each of you individually to fulfill a specific role within our church. 
And, and to be honest, as your pastor, I can help you learn what that role is, to just, just discover what that role is. But I don't know myself. I can't just say, you, you, you should do this. I know you'll be great at that. Hopefully, I can do that and get that right sometimes. But I'm just using the wisdom God has given me, and, and it's uh, an educational guess at best. But when you are self-aware of how God has gifted you, and you see needs in our church, you can fill, help us help our church fill those needs by you leading out in that ministry. And so if there's something that God has put on your heart, come and, and see me. But don't come and see me and say, you know what the, someone else needs to do? <laughs> because I've got plenty of those. Yeah, I, I know a lot of things other people need to do. But I need to know what you are going to do. And here we have Yodia and Syntyche, and they are female leaders in the church, and that's incredible during this time. And anyone can be a leader within the New Testament church. Even if society around us puts limits on it, we should be the ones in the forefront saying, yes, we are, gonna, we are going to support our women, we are going to encourage them, exhort them, challenge them. Uh, We are going to raise them up to be amazing women of God. And so that's, that's one thing I don't want us to skip is this fact that over and over and over again throughout the New Testament, you see leader after leader after leader who happens to be female. And if you are a female in here and God has put something on your heart, as long as it is biblical as long as it fits into the boundaries of what Scripture tells us, then let's do it. Let's figure this out together, okay? So, that's the first thing I want us to to focus on in in verse 2. The second thing is, is that obviously there's been some kind of disagreement. We don't know what the the disagreement is, but he is encouraging them in verse 2 to agree in the Lord. And so we don't know... Um, exactly what happened. I find it interesting, actually, that Scripture chooses to ignore this. Paul obviously knows that something has happened all the way in Rome. But some disagreements are that loud, right? He obviously knows something has happened, but he doesn't know what it is. Or or he chooses not to um, reveal it, one of the two. And so we don't know. Since he's the one writing the letter, we don't know what the disagreement is. I have to believe that it was not something that was doctrinal, meaning that it went against Scripture. Because if it was, if it was that case, I believe he would have boldly confronted it, just like he boldly confronted times when uh, people were going against Scripture at other places, even in this letter to, to the Philippians. And so I've got to believe that when he's approaching this, that there is something going on between them that is personal, that is real, but it's not a doctrinal issue that he needs to correct in a letter. But So that's, that's the, the second thing I want us to see in verse 2, is that we have women leaders. Paul, of course, back in verse 1, he has this great relationship with this church and with these women even, and he is entreating them to agree in the Lord. Now let's talk about what agree means. This doesn't say, Syntyche, uh, you need to go and admit that you were wrong. Because 
I don't know that there was a wrong in this case, or maybe both was wrong. Paul doesn't tell us. He just chooses to omit that. He doesn't say you have to go to someone. There are times when you're wrong, when you're wrong and you know you're wrong, you need to go admit that you're wrong. Let let me just say that before I continue in this. If you have sinned against your brother, you should leave the altar. This is scripture tells us. We should leave where we are and go repent. We should go ask their forgiveness. Okay? If we have wronged our brother. But there are times when in, in the church where we just disagree. Where maybe there's not a right and wrong. And how many of you have ever been to a church business meeting where there was a disagreement? How many of you have ever wanted to duck your head and sneak out of a church business meeting because there was a disagreement? <laughs> how many of you have ever been in the disagreement? <laughs> And so, you know, we, we have, we are people with ideas and opinions, and God has created us in certain ways. And so there are going to be disagreements in the church, okay? Um, just to use an example of relationships and how sometimes there can be disagreements, there was this one time where Rose disagreed with me. It was crazy. Okay, maybe it was a lot more than one time. Maybe it was one time before Sunday school uh, today. No, I'm just playing. I don't think we had a disagreement this morning. Um, But anyway, sometimes there are disagreements between people in the church, and that's going to happen because we are people. We are people joined together in a group, and people have disagreements. And that's okay for us to have disagreements. What's not okay is for us to allow our disagreement to cause division. It's not okay for our disagreements to cause disunity in the church. Being the church together is the title of this sermon series. Being the church together. And the reason I titled it that is because as you read through Philippians... There is one thing, there's lots of themes, encouragement and his love for the church and, you know, uh, standing firm in the midst of persecution and chaos. There's lots of themes. But the one to me that stands out the most throughout the church that is woven the brightest, woven the brightest, is unity. Over and over and over again. If you look at the beginning of of chapter 2, if you can recall when we were there, And Paul is saying, consider others more significant than yourselves. When he is saying that this is yours, this mind is yours, it's it's Christ Jesus' mind. That although he was God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, even to the point of death. And so there are times when we can agree to disagree. And that's what he is is asking Yodia and Syntyche to do is to agree in the Lord. He's he's not saying he's not addressing the issue and saying you're right, you're wrong, fix it. He's saying agree in the Lord, because there are times when we must agree to disagree. As your pastor, I have plenty of ideas of things that we can do to 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 help our church be more effective. But I'm a human. 
Yes, I'm a pastor, and yes, I hope that I am following me to lead this church, and I hope that the proof is in the pudding one day. I hope that. But I also know that I'm just one person, and that it's not up to one person, one human that does not have the qualities of God. It is not up to one person to determine how a church goes. It is up to the church to listen to what Jesus says and what his word says and together figure out how to apply this truth in our culture, in our context, in our setting. Together we make those decisions. None of us have the right to say, it's going to be my way or the highway. Not your pastor, not any of us. We have to choose to agree in the Lord. And so, I'm nosy. I, I really wish I knew what was going on here with Yodia and Syntyche. I just I wish, I mean, I'm sure that old men and women were sitting at a coffee shop somewhere in Philippi talking about it. And Paul gets this letter and he's telling them to agree in the Lord. But let's go to, back to verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So what else are we seeing here? We are seeing that there is this unnamed true companion. There is this unnamed person who Paul trusts to talk to these women, to talk to these two individuals, and to help them agree in the Lord. And we don't know who this person is, but he is saying, look, these women are important in the church. These women have value. They are leaders. They... they they were there. They labored. He chose to use a word that in the Greek is, is intensely working towards something. He labored. In English, they translate it as labored. Who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together. They were... These women loved Jesus. They wanted to share the gospel with people. They wanted to make it known. They were laboring side by side with Paul. They were laboring together with me in the gospel, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of of life. And so he's saying that these women are obviously Christians, if their names are in the book of life, and that they are leaders in the church, to a point where he's calling them out and saying, please agree in the Lord. And we should should learn something from this. First, when we see people in our lives who are living in division, whether it's we see spouses who are fighting, now, there's an appropriate way to show love and concern. And it's not by getting in someone's business and telling them what to do and then going and telling the rest of the community what's going on there. In true love and true concern, you discreetly go to people and you say, look, I want to be there. Is there anything I can do? And yes, you tell them, this isn't helpful. This isn't healthy, the way you're treating your wife or the way you're treating your husband or the way you're treating your teacher or the way you're treating your student or the way you're teaching treating your sibling or whatever the case might be, your co-worker. This is not healthy. This is not the way that a Christian should treat someone. 
you, we should approach people in love. And when it's two Christians, for the sake of the church, we should approach them in love. And we should tell them that we're there for them and that we want them to agree in the Lord, as Paul is saying. But Paul, he's all the way in Rome. Sometimes it's not the job of a pastor to confront conflict. Sometimes it will do more harm for a pastor to confront conflict. What you, we, as ministers in the church, which every member is a minister, right? We are a royal priesthood. Every Christian has a role to play in the church. And all of us, when we see our friends in the midst of disagreement, when we see our friends, and let me just say that disagreements happen every day. I'm talking about the type of disagreement that might need to be addressed in a letter. I'm talking about the type of disagreement that leads to sin. That is obviously not honoring God and not helpful for the church or for the marriage or whatever the case might be. Then as their friend, you and I need to address it. You know, um, last week we talked about addressing sin when we were talking about people who followed the God of their belly. And I had several people come to me and say, here's the sin, will you address it? Well, I love you guys, for those of you who did that. But, and I will address sin. But you address it first. You address it in love first. And if they don't respond, then you can come and talk to me. And I'll go with you. And we can talk to them about it. But, we... Paul didn't have to leave, well, he couldn't leave Rome, but he wasn't going to leave Rome, even if he could, to go to, to Philippi and address this issue between Euodia and Syntyche. He said, fellow laborer, um, or, or true companion, and yoke bearer, he said, you please be there for these women. Help them to work through this. Because I know that they are Christians. They labored side by side with me and Clement and the other uh, workers whose names are in the book of life. And so, that's what we see in verse 3. And then, we're definitely not going to finish the sermon today, but we're going to get through these next three verses, four verses. Um, Then we get to this passage, this paragraph, that a lot of us know. A lot of us might have this passage on a plaque in our house or something like that. And this passage is, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, I just rolled through those. Sorry up there. I wasn't paying attention, Miss Carol, if you, if you were keeping up or not. But going back to verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Hey, this is a great verse. Let's rejoice. Let's be grateful for what we do have. Let's, let's thank God for all the blessings that he has given us because he has overwhelmed us with blessings, every single one of us. We can count our blessings. Even in the midst of hard times and difficulties, depression, chaos, we can still think of things that we are grateful for, that God has given us, that God has blessed us with. Even if we can't appreciate them in the moment, we can think of them, and thinking of them 
is the first step to rejoicing. And so rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Okay? Now, here's what I don't want us to do. I just purposefully read that a little peppier because I believe that it is a little, it is, I mean, there is like a tone that changes a little bit. But you know what doesn't change is the context of of what's going on here. This is still Paul's command to people in disagreement. This is still Paul's command to Yodia and Syntyche and to to Clement and all the other workers and whoever this... uh, unnamed companion is that's supposed to be helping these ladies to get along he does not just transition and say okay i'm done with that conversation let me start a new one this is a continuance of what he was just saying and and i will show you why i believe that and and why i believe that that's evident verse four or sorry verse five let your reasonableness be known to everyone here's the first I believe he is addressing... Now, is this applicable to all of us in any situation? Probably so. But when we're in disagreements, when we're in uh, division, when we're a part of that, then we need to, to... We want the results of this. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that what the results are, we'll get to that in a minute, we want them. And in order for us to get those results, we have to listen to what Paul is telling us to do. And obedience is what is given as uh, the the ultimate answer in verse 9 that we will get to next week. But this morning, I want us to look and I want us to see that the first thing he's telling them to do is to rejoice. The second thing he's telling them to do is to let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Okay? So if you're in a disagreement... Do the people around you agree that it's reasonable what you're fighting about? Because I remember times when Rose and I were married early on when we would have this strong disagreement. That's what I'm going to call it. Where there might have been raised voices and slammed doors and all sorts of things to let us know that we were not in agreement. And we were not very reasonable when we were 25 and 21 years old. And looking back at those things, we could have taken this advice. Rejoice in the Lord, of course, but also let your reasonableness be known to everyone. I can remember times, Rose, when we were talking to people about our disagreements, and I could just see on their faces that they were like, why are you fighting over that? (laughs) When is the point of that? Because it wasn't reasonable. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. This is another sentence. The Lord is at hand. Okay? He will be returning soon. He is in our presence now. If If our names are in the book of life, as it's been talking about in this passage, if we are Christians, then he indwells us. God lives in us. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. How many of you, again, we, a lot of us know this verse. A lot of us know this passage. But we divorce it from the disagreement. So I'm going back to the disagreement of Yordia and Syntyche. And I'm going to ask, how many of you, when you are in a disagreement about something, there is so much anxiety? You're worried about, 
you know, am I doing the right thing? Am I acting the right way? What, what do they think? What, what do my friends around me think? What does the church think? What do, and then there's not just anxiety about what people think. There's anxiety about what's going to happen. What's next? There's, there's this anxiousness. And the, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what's the answer? Instead of worrying, instead of being anxious, instead of living in the, the heat of this disagreement, what do we do? We rejoice. We let our reasonableness be known to everyone. And then we remember that the Lord is at hand and we are not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, we are going to make our requests be known to God. So what's the answer to disagreement? What's the answer to anxiety? The answer is getting on your face and praying and begging God to help and begging God to show you what you need to change because you sure can't change somebody else. You're not going to be able to change the other person's opinion. Don't even worry about that. Okay, if the disagreement has come to this point, then we are agreeing to disagree. We are agreeing to live in unity despite the disagreement, despite the hurt, despite the pain, we are going to live in unity. And let me tell you what living in unity, it does not necessarily entail that we have to trust the person ever again. Trust is something that has to be earned back. Okay? So let's just say that Sean, um, that I hit Sean in his face uh, with a basketball while he's showing me his mad basketball skills. And, uh, and it's because I passed at an inappropriate time. Now, does that mean that Sean should just trust me not to hit him in the face with the ball again next time? No, I bet he's going to be looking at me as we're going down the court because he, he should learn. Humans should learn from things. And look, we should live in unity and we should live in a, in, in, we should agree in, in matters that of unity, even when we disagree on other matters. But that doesn't mean that we have to let people continue to hurt us and hurt us and hurt us and hurt us. We have to live in unity. We have to agree. But that does not mean that we have to just allow people to make this, to take the same actions that they took in the, that caused the disagreement in the first place over and over and over again. You love them. You pray for them. You want God's best for them, but you don't have to trust the person. Okay? Does that make sense? When people have hurt us, we should learn from that. We shouldn't become bitter. We shouldn't build up walls. But we should love them with the knowledge that this is a person who did this in the past. And they might do it again. And we should let people show us that they're not. Now, we should have grace. We should have mercy. We should show love. We should show forgiveness. But it's okay for us to forgive and love and do all that and know that this person is a human being just as I am. They have flaws just as I do. And one of their flaws might lead them to do this again. Does that make sense? I hope it does. So... 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we agree, we rejoice, we let our reasonableness be known, and we're not anxious. Instead, we're praying, and when we pray, we're making our requests be known to God. And the peace of God, what's the result of doing things this way? And you can't just say, you can't just say rejoice in the Lord always and then pray in the peace of God. No, you can't divorce it from the rest. We have to live in agreement. I entreat Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. We have to, those of us who are not a, in, a part of the disagreement, we have to work to help them agree despite their differences. To, to get along, to love each other despite differences for those and I'm talking about agreement for those who are Christians we rejoice in the Lord yes that's a part of it we let our reasonableness be known the Lord is at hand so we're not anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving we are letting our requests be known to God and then verse 7 The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, peace is a word that will be used again later in this passage that we won't get to today. But I think peace is an appropriate word used in addressing conflict. When addressing the division between Yodia and Syntyche. Peace is the result of agreeing to disagree. Peace is the result of letting your reasonableness be known to everyone. Peace is the result of not being anxious but choosing to pray instead. Peace is the result... When you, when you add this plus this plus this plus this, we get to verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We can't choose to, to still live in the division and hope that the peace of God comes. We have to realize that in the peace of God, that that is attached to the rest of this passage. We can't divorce it. From the rest. It all goes together. It, Yes, it applies in other areas. I believe that if there's something that we're worried about, then we can go to God and we can tell, instead of being anxious, we can make our requests be known to Him. And, and by prayer and supplication, we can ask Him to help us. And I truly believe that He will. But, if, but that's this broad statement. Because he will, but if we're choosing to disobey him and rebel against him, and we're coming to him and we're asking him to help us, then he might not. He has every right to not answer those prayers for peace if we're going to choose to live in rebellion. And so in the same sense, in this scenario, when Yordia and Syntyche are choosing to disagree, if they don't come back together in agreement, then they might not have that peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. That's the first step, is to agree to disagree. And then the second step 
Sorry, I was looking at Colossians. I was like, that's not right. The second step is to rejoice in the Lord. The third step is to let your reasonableness be known. Your fourth step is not to be anxious. And then attached to that is, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request be known to God. And then the peace of God will be with you. And so where are you today? Is, are you living in the midst of some disagreement in your life? Is it with your spouse? Is it with your children? Is it with your grandparents? I don't know. Like, what relationships have you not chosen to agree to disagree, but instead said, cutting it off? Not going to have any relationship whatsoever with this person because they did this to me. That's the temptation. And I'm going to tell you that, look, this is easy to preach about. It's not easy to live. When my parents divorced at nine years old, do you think I was like, no big deal, guys. We can still be a happy family. That's not the way I felt. Right? Now, I I love both my parents. And and when my dad moved to Kansas City, that was heartbreaking for a a kid, for his dad to be 12 hours away. And it, it it, it hurt as a child. But when I came to Christ... Did I have a right to hold a grudge against him? Or was I supposed to forgive him? Forgiveness. Forgive as I wanted to be forgiven. If, if we look at the Lord's Prayer, we've talked about, even though it's not in Philippians, it seems to come up. It's come up several times. Forgive us our trespasses as we do what? Forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us as we are doing this. So what conflict is in your life? What division is in your life? Is it a boss? Is it a co-worker? I've been there. Look, I've, I've had a disagreement with a boss one time that, and who happened to be a very close friend of mine. And I felt like he treated me very unfairly. And I was extremely angry. Probably for a year, I was upset, hurt. Like, it made me cry, just to be honest. It hurt me so bad. But guess what my relationship with that guy is today? I love him. I'll never work for him again. (laughs) But I love him. And I pray for him often. I pray that God will bless him, his family, that, that God will use him for great things. It took some time. But I know what I have to do. I don't have a choice in the matter. I am to forgive, and I am to live in agreement, not because they deserve it, because I don't deserve for Rose to forgive me for the things that I've done in our relationship. I don't deserve it. She doesn't deserve to be forgiven for the things that she's done to me in our relationship. But we love God, and we love each other, and we choose to forgive. We choose to agree for God's sake, for love's sake, for relationship's sake. In too many churches for too long, something comes up, someone's feelings are hurt, and there's a split. There's division. And if we as the church can't get relationship right, what chance do we have to transform the world around us? We wonder why the divorce rate is so high. And I'm not picking on you if you've been divorced. Look, hopefully, if, if there was sin involved... And, and less um, 
and unless there were biblical reasons for the divorce, then biblical, not just your preference, but biblical reasons for the divorce, unless that was the case, I hope that you have repented of your sin and that you're in right relationship with God today. But the reason why we can't talk to anybody about divorce in, in, the, in the culture or the community is because divorce in the church is so prevalent also. The reason why we can't even have a seat at the table to discuss homosexuality in our culture is because sexual sin is so prevalent in the church that they say, why is this wrong, but you can cheat on your spouse or you can have sex before marriage or you can do these other things that the Bible says are wrong. And so we have to choose to obey the Scripture. We have to choose to live in unity. We have to choose to not pick and choose what we want to agree with in this word or not agree with. We have to choose to do it all. And so what, is there temptation for me to not, to not follow through with what this says when I've been wronged? Absolutely. But if I'm going to follow Jesus and be obedient to him, do I really have a choice? No, if I want to be obedient, then the only choice is do as he said. And this is what scripture says. And so I'm hoping that we can mend conflict in our families, that we can mend conflict in our church, that we can be an example to the outside world. But we can't do that until we start it right here. So what's going on with you today? What has God convicted you of? For the invitation this morning, I will be up here at the front. And you can come. I will pray with you. I will pray for you. Whatever you need. But at the same time, I want to invite you to just step in the back or step outside and, and call somebody. If there's somebody that, that you need to mend a relationship with, give them a call. Maybe a call is not appropriate. Maybe you need to visit that person. You know, maybe you haven't spoken to a child in several years or a parent or, or someone in your life and you need to make things right. I want to follow these steps because selfishly, I want the peace of God to be with me. But I also want to follow these steps just because I love him and I want to do right by him. And I know that there are so many of you in here this morning who feel the same. Let's pray and then we'll have our time of invitation.